It's been good together to be together today to sing, to pray, to worship, to be challenged by God speaking to us through his word. We're in Luke. We're studying Luke. Luke, look, look at Luke and ask the question, who is Jesus? Well, Luke wants us to know who Jesus is so that we would know him, know more about him, believe in him, and follow him, follow him, not just follow him, but follow him boldly. Follow him wholeheartedly, just the way we sang today. Last week, oh, now the sirens start, okay. <laughs> Last week's question was this, are you with Jesus, yes or no? His teaching and miracles require us to make a choice. There's, there's no middle ground. There's no, well, maybe. Maybe is a no. It's yes or no. If we hear God's word, if we see God's finger working mightily, we have to turn to him. Refusing Jesus means I'm walking down a pathway, a dangerous pathway to eternity without any grace or mercy just destruction, turmoil, and suffering. And today's scripture that we're looking at uh, really just continues that theme. I, I broke it into two parts, but again, it's like we can't be neutral about Jesus and his word and salvation. If we, if we refuse his light, and that's the picture that Jesus wants to give us today in this, in this teaching, he uses light as a picture so that we turn to him, embrace him fully, his word is salvation. If we, if we refuse his light, if we refuse his words of truth, we're going to remain in darkness. And darkness leads to God's righteous judgment of the evil darkness that's in our hearts. So this morning I ask you these questions as we roll into three main points. Do you have healthy spiritual eyes? How would you say your eyesight is? A person with healthy spiritual eyesight hears God's word, believes it, and applies it to their lives. They pursue Christ. They pursue his righteousness. We don't do that naturally. It's only possible through God's grace in Christ. It's a Christ. It's a process. It's rebirth. It's a renewal. It's growth. So good spiritual eyes pursue Christ. They seek his righteousness. They chase after him. Bad spiritual eyesight allows darkness in. Instead of light, it likes darkness. A person hears God's truth but does nothing with it. Darkness leads to stumbling. Darkness leads to hypocrisy. Darkness leads to evil. Darkness leads to eternal death. You know, it's possible to be in the dark and not even know it. You think you're in the light, but you're actually in the dark unless God's light breaks through. So Jesus uses light to drive home his point that we have to make a choice. Jesus is the light. He's the light of the world. But not only that, Jesus says his teaching is like a lamp. Are you in the light? Are you using the light? Or are you in the darkness and don't know it? So what does it look like if I embrace God's light? What does my life look like if I embrace God's light? And what does my life look like if I refuse God's light? I don't embrace it, I push it away. Receive God's light, 
first key truth. Receive his truth. In verses 33 and 34, no one after lighting a lamp, Jesus says, puts it in a cellar or under a basket. They put it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. First thing we need to do with when we receive God's light, that we should embrace it. We need to value the gospel. We need to value the truth of God. Paul, you mentioned it in your prayer. We see God's truth in creation. We see it in the word of God, the Bible. We see it in the living word, Jesus Christ. That's why we study his life, because we want to know God's light, the pure light from heaven. We learn it from Jesus. God doesn't hide his light from the world. We just refuse to see it. And you know what? Hearing it, admiring it, memorizing it, saying it, it's true, isn't enough. It's got to be received. It's got to be received into my mind and then touch my soul, my heart, and then acted on. That's really challenging. I mean, James, the apostle James, Jesus' half-brother, who wasn't a believer for quite a while, but after the resurrection, we believe, came to faith in and his half-brother is the Messiah. He says this about that. Don't merely listen to the word and so what? Deceive yourselves. Like remaining in the dark is what he's saying. Do what it says. That's James 1.22. A little bit later on in chapter 2, he wrote, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is what? It's dead. Faith without works that act, that act in accordance with God's command and his promise, promises is not true faith. It's just a lot of talk. So value the gospel. Value the light of God's truth. Value it and then use it. You ever wrestle with faith like, I, I believe, but then I don't believe all the time. I go astray. I don't trust the way I'm supposed to trust. We, we, we just, we believe in Jesus, but in the heat of the moment, we struggle with it at times. So we need to test our faith. How's your heart direction? Are you following Jesus or just pretending? You know, it's amazing how easy it is to pretend to be a lover of Jesus. Because, like, if you have friends that really love Jesus... And to fit in, because it's good to have good friends, and to fit in, we kind of like say we love Jesus too, but that's pretending if it isn't the truth, if we're just doing it to fit in. So following Jesus, am I following Jesus or pretending? We need to ask that about our, our souls, our hearts. Am I seeking to know more about Jesus, or am I just now and then dabbling in it, or I don't really care. Am I helping others find Jesus' life-giving truth? <laughs> Thank you, Operation Christmas Child, for the advertisement for that point today. Look at what that girl did. She fell in love with Christ. And what did she do? She shared it. 
She let the light shine. She didn't hide under, under a bushel, no. <laughs> she let it shine. Do not neglect the gospel. Until we embrace Christ and value his commands, the gospel's like a lit candle or a lamp, and we cover it up. It's no good to us. It's no use if you have the gospel, if you know what it is, but you don't use it, you don't apply it, you don't take steps to embrace it. Taking no decided steps to follow Christ in our attitudes and actions is a sign we are in the dark. Contentment with no movement toward godliness is a sign of a very weak faith or false faith, a fake faith. I often quote J.C. Ryle. He's a guy that preached in the 19th century, the late 1800s. He was over in England. And here's what he says about embracing God's way, God's light. Watch yourself that you're not neglecting your life. Take care of your own soul. Beware of selfish religion. Labor so others can, say, can see and, and say, they have possessed a pearl of great price. They have the kingdom of God and they're living it. I like what he says, your faith in Christ may well be suspect if you are content to go to heaven alone. I'm okay. I'm not worried about you. True Christians will have a large and expanding heart. So if you're a parent and you're a follower of Christ, then you long and pray and ask and do what you can for your children's salvation so they know the gospel. But it doesn't stop with family. You start to be concerned about your children's friends and their families. It doesn't stop, it expands. If you're an employer, you desire to see your employees get a taste of the kingdom of God in the way you run your business or how you supervise them as a manager so that they can embrace Christ and that faith, if they come to faith, can spread to their people circles. And if you're a neighbor, you care about your neighbor enough to care for them the way Jesus cared for you so they can maybe believe and embrace Christ. Again, J.C. Ryle says, a Christian who is satisfied to burn his candle alone is in a weak and sickly state of soul. So pay attention to yourself, to your soul life. Be concerned about yourself, and then be a good shepherd and start taking care of other people. And you don't have to be old to do that, by the way. I just throw that out there, teenagers. And if there happens to be a, a younger person here in elementary school, you too. We can be shepherds. You're called to be a shepherd. Caring for others. Bring them into the sheepfold, to the place of protection. Admit if you're pretending to be a follower of Jesus. Confess your lack of zeal or your selfishness. Remember Martha? Yeah, we just talked about her a couple weeks ago. Jesus loves to confront our missteps, not because he's after us, but because he loves us. He wants to get us closer to him, to, to enjoy the fellowship of his presence now and forever. 
And we can only do that through knowing Jesus Christ, believing he died for our sins on the cross, becoming his child, not by earning it or, or, or working for it, but by believing. And that belief will lead us to a new ways of living that transforms us, that the light in us begins to shine more brightly. It shows off the glory of Christ. So embrace God's truth. Believe in his light. Secondly, healthy eyes are single-minded. They go together. Am I filled with good or bad light? Our, uh, our soul's eyes are like doors or big windows. And they either have the door open so the light can come in or the shades are pulled on the window to keep it out or in. Are they letting in good light or no light? Darkness. And God's lamp is shining brightly. It's not hidden under a basket. So healthy eyes believe, and then they allow the light to shine fully. Just, have you ever been hit by floodlight? It's blinding, right? It's just like, well, that's what God's light does. It just fills you. It covers you, his truth, when we embrace it. And then we reflect it out. Unhealthy eyes don't allow the light in. They shut themselves to God's light. They turn away. The word of God's ignored. So being single-minded about Christ reveals the health of our soul eyes. Single-minded is when your mind and your soul, your heart is focused on God and Christ. And that's a process. But you get more of him and less of the world as you're maturing. The scriptures help define what it means to be single-minded. Listen to Psalm 27.4. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I will seek after, single-mindedness, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. That was David's heart. He wanted to see God in his temple, in the heavenly temple, see him in all his beauty. That's single-mindedness. In Luke chapter 10, the story of Mary and Martha, but one thing is necessary, Martha, Jesus said, Mary has chosen the good portion, seeking to be in God's presence. That's single-mindedness. In the New Testament, the apostle Paul, in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, he wrote this about Olympians and their training lifestyle. Did anybody here ever, you can raise your hand, ever aspire to be an Olympian? Well, I aspired to be an Olympian. I didn't quite make it. <laughs> I was really that close. <laughs> An Olympian's training lifestyle is a picture of being single-minded. Listen to what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself might be disqualified. Single-mindedness. 
Philippians chapter 3, the Apostle Paul said in verse 10, that I may know him, that is Jesus, and the power of his resurrection. And then he says this about being single-minded, about having healthy eyes that are fixed on Jesus. Not that I've already obtained this, or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own, because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I've made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead. The prize of Christ. The prize of living with God, my creator forever, and enjoying him in his presence. So I have the resources that I need through Christ to battle weariness, to battle against sin, the word of God giving me light, overseers, people who care about me, parents, spiritual parents, friends who love Christ to guide me, to help me. We have what we need. Our church has a vision. It's in the bulletin. It's written down. What's it all about? to be living the hope of Jesus' gospel in our communities. So our vision, our dream is that God's people that meet here would live in such a way as when, they, when we go out, the people would see Jesus Christ. That's our vision. That's our dream, so to speak. Our mission, then, to get that done is to make disciples who know Jesus, who love Jesus, who serve Jesus together in all contexts of life, wherever we are. We're doing it together, and if we're not together in that moment, we're helping one another when we do get together to do the work of God. That's our mission. To accomplish our vision, our mission then is to make disciples who know, love, and serve God. And then we get to our values. And Lizette's going to come up and talk a little bit about that. See, we're scripture-centered. That's one of the things we value here. We're, we value seeking God. We value nurturing relationships. We value equipping believers. We value serving our communities. That's what we state as our key values that help us accomplish our mission to accomplish our vision. But today we want to focus, come on up. Was that seeking God? Because we're going to focus on prayer in the next several weeks in our studies together on Sunday mornings. And Lizette's going to explain a little bit more about that 40 days in prayer. This in two languages. We're going to start with English. Good morning, Grace Chapel. I'm going to point your attention to the slide behind me. The verse on it is super easy to memorize. So after you memorize Jesus wept, you can memorize pray without ceasing. 1 Thessalonians 5.17. I want to briefly challenge you to attend this study for two easy reasons. Reason number one, the Bible, the Word of God. This means our Lord asks you to do so. I want to say this again, just to be clear. The sovereign God of the universe wants and desires to talk with you, not by appointment and not only when we're having a crisis or when we think we might like a dollar's worth of God but all the time. His concept and version of time isn't like yours or mine. We're not disturbing something more important. Some people would like to be at the same Wawa with a celebrity, and maybe they'd get queasy and start taking selfies and texting all their friends. Well, this is the Lord and Savior of the entire universe. 
all things and beings that are currently living, all things past and all things future, whose undivided attention you have accessible to you faster than unlocking your phone. By relative comparison, reaching to unlock your phone probably takes 10 times longer than speaking to God. Do you know that you don't need to find a strong signal to talk to him? I'm going to tell you the very plain truth. You may not have heard this before, but if you're breathing, checking, you can pray. Reason number two, if I were to ask which of us has a vigorous prayer life, no need to raise your hands here. How many of you would say, yep, that's me? So let's imagine that you've stayed for a long time to take a cruise. Finally, you make it there and are just in awe of the splendor of your home away from home. The first evening when you hear dinner is served, you grab peanut butter crackers from your suitcase and you scroll up to your bed in your small cabin. Every day at mealtime, you repeat the same ritual. It isn't that you don't like the ship's sumptuous banquets. You simply don't know that meals are included in the ticket price. For two weeks, you enjoy beautiful scenery off the decks, but eat dry, prepackaged food with no variety in your cabin. Hmm. This sad story is a metaphor for how some of us view our prayer lives. We would rather maintain control of our predictable peanut butter crackers than visit the banquet. Charles Spurgeon said that God shuts the storehouse of heaven when we stop praying. And a more vivid metaphor of his is, the ship of prayer may sail through all temptations, doubts, and fears, straight up to the throne of God. It is possible to encounter and experience God daily. If you are not, what are you holding on to so tightly that blocks you from this? And the second question I leave you with is, and it's one I've been asking myself, is where am I having peanut butter crackers in my life? Buenos dias. Voy a dirigir su atención a la pantalla. El versículo es súper fácil de memorizar. Es simplemente ora continuamente. Quiero desafiarles a que asistan a este estudio por dos sencillas razones. Razón número una, la Biblia, la palabra de Dios, esto significa que nuestro Señor te pide que lo hagas. Me explicaré en otras palabras. El Dios soberano del universo quiere y desea hablar con nosotros, no con una cita previa, ni solamente cuando estamos pasando por una crisis o cuando pensamos que necesitamos algo de Dios, sino todo el tiempo. Su concepto y versión del tiempo no es como el tuyo ni el mío. Tampoco estamos interrumpiendo nada que sea más importante. Algunos les encantaría encontrar en Wawa a una celebridad favorita y se volverían loquitos por un, tomarse un selfie con ellos. Sin embargo, este es el Señor y Salvador viviente de todo el universo. Es el Dios del presente, del pasado y del futuro. Cuya atención exclusiva tienes a tu alcance más rápido que desbloquear tu teléfono. En comparación relativamente, desbloquear el teléfono probablemente lleva 10 veces más tiempo que hablar con Dios. ¿Sabes que no necesitas encontrar una señal fuerte para hablar con Él? Voy a decirte la pura verdad. Es posible que no la hayas escuchado antes, pero si estás respirando, puedes orar. La razón número dos. Si tuviera que preguntar quién de nosotros tiene una vigorosa vida de oración, 
no es necesario levantar la mano. ¿Cuántos de nosotros diríamos, sí, ese soy yo? Entonces, imaginemos que has ahorrado durante mucho tiempo para hacer un crucero. Finalmente llegas ahí y te quedas asombrado por el esplendor de ese hogar lejos de tu casa. La primera noche, cuando se avisa por alta voz, la cena está servida. Sacas galletas de mantequilla de maní de tu maleta y te acurrucas en tu cama en tu pequeña cabaña. Todos los días a la hora de comer se repite el mismo ritual. No es que no te gustan las suntuosas banquetas del barco. Simplemente no sabes que las comidas están incluidas en el precio del tiquete. Durante dos semanas disfrutas de hermosos paisajes desde la cubierta, pero comes comida seca y rancia sin variedad en tu recámara. Esta triste historia es una metáfora de cómo algunos de nosotros vemos nuestra vida de oración. Preferiríamos mantener el control de nuestros predecibles galletas de mantequilla de maní que visitar al banquete. El señor Charles Spurgeon dijo que Dios cierra el almacén del cielo cuando dejamos de orar. Y una metáfora más vívida es, el barco de la oración puede navegar a través de todas las tentaciones, dudas y temores, directamente hacia el trono de Dios. Es posible experimentar el Señor diariamente. ¿Qué estás apretando y confiando que te impide de tener ese encuentro de Dios diariamente? Y te dejo con una segunda pregunta, ¿cuál es? Y es una en que yo he estado haciéndome yo misma. ¿Dónde estoy comiendo galletas de mantequilla de maní en mi vida de oración? Thank you, Lizette. All church, English and Spanish, we're going to be studying together uh, about prayer. We hope you'll join us next Sunday at 9.30 as we begin our six days, 40 days in prayer together as a congregation. Receive God's light. Believe in him. Use his light. Ask yourself this. Are my eyes ever looking at the heavenly prize? Where am I focused? What does bad spiritual eyesight look like? Well, Jesus wants us to know the ways of bad light, and that's the main section of this teaching, his woes. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. Jesus is talking about outside and inside here, what really is important. I kind of like this passage, too, because it kind of shows, this was Jesus' outreach ministry. He went to dinners with people who weren't really in tune with him so that he could correct them. And the Pharisee we see in this passage, verses 37 through 44, was surprised of Jesus' nonconformity. He was a radical He wasn't washing ceremonially his hands before he ate his meals because Jesus had been out there with the people. Who knows who he was with? The Pharisees and the scribes, the lawyers, the law, law experts washed their hands. And Jesus chastised them. He was concerned for them. You know, God is concerned with who you are. 
Because who you are on the inside changes what you do on the outside. So do you, do you know me? My wife knows me. My, my children know me. The people that are in the office during the week kind of know me. But God knows me. God knows you. And what you are on the inside shows who you really are by what you do. You can pretend and fool people for a while, but not ever God. The Pharisees washed dishes and hands, but they didn't understand that their souls were filthy and they needed cleansed. They didn't care to share their food with the poor who needed it, with the hungry. So in reality, Jesus is saying, you aren't clean at all. You're filthy, and you don't even know it. The Pharisees and scribes, the lawyers, were, had woe-filled ways. In verses 42 through 52, there's six of them. And Jesus is grieving. When Jesus says, woe to you, he's not only warning them, he's also feeling very sympathetic toward them because they're blind and don't know it. He's, he's telling them that, not to rub it in, but to help them come out of their, their darkness. Tithing. They tithe on herbs, and that's really good, but it's not enough. You're missing love. You're missing justice. So your tithing's worthless. <laughs> The, can you imagine tithing? Have you tied your herbs lately, anybody? No. They did, but they missed the big part. They lack humility. They love public posturing. <laughs> public posturing wars. Who's the greatest? Who deserves the seat in the house? The chair. Morally unclean. They were like unmarked graves. If, unmarked graves. if you walked over a grave in, in, in God's law, you became ceremonially unclean, and, and you needed to go through a process just to cleanse yourself. It was just a reminder of death and sin, and you needed to cleanse yourself from it. Well, Jesus said, you, you, you Pharisees and you law experts, you're like unmarked graves. People uh, listen to your teachings and they don't even know, but you're making them unclean and they don't even know it. Following you makes people unclean. They had bad eyesight. They were blind to God's truth. Woe! And they increased the burdens of people. Verse 46. Woe to you, you lawyers also, for you load people down with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with your fingers. The exact opposite of Jesus Christ. Think about Isaiah 53. What, is, what does God tell us? What does Isaiah tell us about Jesus Christ and his prophecy in Isaiah 53? He came and took on our burdens and our sorrows. The Lord was happy to lay all our iniquity on him. He carries our burdens. He delivers us from them, but these people were just loading them on. More laws, more rules, more finger-pointing, and never helping anyone stop doing sinful things and moving on toward God. They were tomb builders, woe number five. They built tombs, fancy tombs, in memorial of the prophets who their fathers killed. 
You ever think about this? We have a lot of war memorials. And it's not wrong to have memorials that honor people who sacrificed to defend, defend our nation. But you know what we never do at a war memorial? We never think about the stupidness and the foolishness and the evil that started the war in the first place. We never confess it. We revel in the heroes who fought the war, but we never confess the evil that caused the wars and our part in that. We don't remember that. So here, they honored their fathers who killed God's prophets, and they forgot to ask, why did our fathers do such wicked things and kill God's messengers? And these same people that never asked that question were about to kill God the Son. Same sin, rejecting God's light, they were living in darkness. Woe number six, they closed the door to God's kingdom. Paradox. Supposedly, they claimed to know God's truth and explain it, and Jesus says they did not know the truth, and they didn't know how to explain it. They didn't know how to live it. They were not entering the kingdom themselves, and they were locking the door so others couldn't get in. They were leading them astray. They threw away the key. And Jesus, the key to the way, the truth, and the life was right there, and they weren't believing it. They opposed Christ. They had bad spiritual eyesight, and then darkness filled their lives. Don't be like them. The issue of good and bad spiritual eyesight is really subtle. It's subtle because we don't have a, a commentary telling us what, what's inside in our hearts. Imagine getting a weekly report from God the Holy Spirit. <laughs> Matt's heart report this week. <laughs> wow, it'd be embarrassing, especially if we posted it. But we do have the Holy Spirit, if you're a believer. You have God's word, the written word of God, and the Holy Spirit's there to help us open up our eyes to see the sins that, 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 that are woeful, that blind us to the truth, that make our eyes less healthy than they ought to be. We need the Lord's help to open up our eyes, and that's why we are getting together to learn how to pray and to pray together for six weeks. So, but we need more than just 40 days of prayer, don't we? We need prayer until we see Jesus. We need to be constantly depending on the Lord. Healthy spiritual eyes allow God's light to shine in. They believe it. Healthy eyes believe it. They apply it. Healthy eyes equal healthy souls that are growing single-minded and falling more in love with Christ, more in obedience with Christ. And it's only possible by God's forgiving grace given to us through belief in Christ. So I close with this. Are we living in God's light or fooling ourselves? Stumbling around in the darkness. What are we letting filter in to our soul? Don't be foolish. Stand in Christ's light. Hear and believe and receive life. Allow God's light to fill you. Ask him to show you what's hindering his full floodlight shining into your soul.
Maybe you already know what it is. Ask him to help you overcome it, he will. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask you to search us. Search me. Search each one here. You know our hearts. Shine your light, your truth into our souls so we see those hidden sins that come between us and you. Remove the darkness, Lord. We ask you to do that. Shine in your beautiful light so we follow you with all our mind, with all our soul, with all our strength. Lord Jesus, we believe in you. Help our unbelief. Lord, we love you. We trust you. Help us to love you and trust you more. We pray this all for your honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen.